Welcome to Silicon Valley Vibes, a podcast from SVLG, where we talk to the people shaping the pulse policy and platforms of our world-leading innovation ecosystem. I'm your AI announcer, Vivi. Today's show covers the connections of data's intersection with diversity in HR, and also what it takes to be a successful small business in partnership with one of the biggest businesses in the world. Driving the important conversations are our SVLG hosts, Nadia Anderson, Chief of Staff for SVLG and SVP of Strategy, as well as her co-host, Peter Leroux Munoz, SVLG General Counsel and SVP of Tech and Innovation. Welcome to the show. I'm Nadia Anderson. And I'm Peter Leroux Munoz, and we're excited to be bringing you Silicon Valley Vibes. On this episode of SVV, we're talking with founder and CEO of Cage Bird HR, Sierra Gross, about where she sees the need for systemic changes across HR and how her personal experience revealed an opening for her to start the first ever company to offer independent and individual HR support. But first, Amazon is taking care of business, small business that is. I had a really timely conversation around Amazon's small business initiatives with their Director of External Relations, Natalie Angelillo. Not only are we just coming off of Small Business Month, but Amazon works with thousands of local small businesses to help them build a market for their unique products and services. You know, Peter, I consider myself an expert prime shopper and will say that I absolutely learned a ton by listening to this conversation. I was very happy to hear about the continued focus on small business, on entrepreneurship, on independent sellers, all the things that we know don't receive a lot of attention, but there's lots of hard work behind the scenes. So happy that it's being highlighted. Let's get down to business. Today, I'm joined by Natalie Angelillo, Director of External Relations at Amazon. Natalie, it's great to have you here today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm uh, excited to be here. To set the stage, can you describe the overall picture of Amazon's relationship with small businesses? Today, more than 60%, believe it or not, of Amazon sales are from independent sellers, most of which are small and medium-sized business. Our independent sellers are the very companies that are providing the vast selection of products, competitive prices, and great convenience for customers. Just to give you some context, uh, let me share some recent stats from our Small Business Empowerment Report. In 2022, independent sellers in Amazon's U.S. store sold more than 4.1 billion products, an average of 7,800 every minute, and also averaged more than $230,000 in sales in Amazon store. Natalie, another thing that I think is just so fascinating about Amazon is that it's this global platform but it gives these small businesses an opportunity to grow and to build markets. Have you seen that to be the case in your experience working with Amazon? Absolutely. Uh, we've got a number of our small business sellers, sellers we've recently talked to and met with even who've got stories from our recent engagement uh, just in the San Francisco Bay Area where we were sponsoring Small Business Week with the Chamber of Commerce. And we heard stories about local sellers starting businesses out of their bedrooms and now selling globally to a giant audience. I had an opportunity to actually attend one of the events that you put on in San Francisco for small business owners. And I met a couple where it was a husband and wife that had previously worked in tech 
and they decided that they wanted to create this new game, a card game that people could use at parties, kind of like an icebreaker to kind of establish a real kind of festive mood there. And they started off by looking around to find people to sell their card game. They couldn't find anybody. So they went on Amazon and they had overwhelming success on your platform. And now they're being sold all over the country. So is that is that kind of typical to some of the stories that you've heard? It is. It is indeed. It's really hard to break into retail. Often they, you know, there are no other choices. They get the door, you know, sort of slammed in their face. So many of these businesses, they they choose to sell on Amazon and they've had incredible success not only from customers who find them, discover them, and are excited to buy their products, as in the case of ASM Games, the company that you mentioned, they had retailers knocking on their door, asking them to put their products on their store shelves. When you look at the kinds of people who sell on Amazon as small business owners, is there a particular profile for that type of entrepreneur, or is it just all kinds of people who are taking advantage of the Amazon platform? That's a great question, Peter. When you close your eyes and picture the small businesses that are in your neighborhood or city, those are the same small businesses that are selling today in Amazon store. They're the ones at the heart of their local communities. They include many women, black military owned businesses, as well as artisans that create handcrafted goods. You know, I think sometimes as we're being a consumer on Amazon and we're buying our products, we're not always thinking about who's behind the product I just added to my shopping cart. And truly, they're the neighborhood shop owners, they're local restaurants that, you know, are selling their cookbooks um, at the same time as, you know, maybe you had dinner at their restaurant the other night. They're innovators creating totally new types of brands, new types of products. They're rural businesses that now can reach millions of customers around the world. They're creating jobs for their local communities and so much more. If I'm going to put myself in the shoes of a small business owner, what are some of the benefits of partnering with Amazon? Selling an Amazon store for a small business unlocks a proven economic engine for these, for these businesses. It gives them 24-7 access to hundreds of millions of customers worldwide. And it makes it easier than ever for these customers to shop small, shop small businesses. So last year, one of the things we did to, to help with that is that we introduced the small business badge in the U.S., which identifies products from small businesses and artisans that are selling an Amazon store, making it much easier for, for people to, to discover and to support the small businesses they care about. In addition to customers, Amazon also provides those entrepreneurs with tools and resources to help them quickly launch their brand, rapidly scale, and then quickly and cost-effectively reach more customers through logistics and fulfillment network support. And then lastly, would be silly not to mention the free education and the multiple levels of support that they get to ensure that they get the most out of selling. Being a small business owner is, is not easy. Um, and so we provide you know, a lot of support help pages, seller university training, seller news. We even have forums where they can meet and interact with other sellers, maybe uh, at the same stage that they are and get tips and actual real life advice from someone who's going through it with them at the same time in the same way. It really sounds like Amazon is helping these individual small business owners 
educate themselves and to thrive on your platform. But we also know as well that small business owners are an important part of their own respective local communities. How does Amazon's work translate into helping communities by way of creating job opportunities? Selling an Amazon store has allowed our selling partners to employ millions of people in the U.S. with jobs that include managing, operating, and supporting their efforts to sell through Amazon stores. So these sellers are creating critical training and workforce development in sought-after job categories that really help communities grow its school-skilled labor pools. Let me give you an example of a scale. In 2022, Amazon independent sellers created 1.5 million U.S.-based jobs directly tied to operating their businesses. In addition, sellers have a direct impact on job creation by choosing to use the different services that Amazon offers. So if they chose, for example, to use our fulfillment by Amazon, which is our fulfillment and shipping service, or customer support by Amazon, those services support hundreds of thousands of jobs in Amazon fulfillment centers, at delivery service providers that work with Amazon, and within our Amazon customer service teams. And so all of that combined is really fueling job creation in local communities across the U.S. What are some big takeaways that every small business needs to know when they decide to partner with Amazon? The thought of selling an Amazon store is really exciting. And when you think about the potential for your small business, it's easy to potentially become overwhelmed or scared by that prospect. So Know what you want to sell and do your research. So what products are best to sell online? What niches can be most profitable for you? What makes products enticing to customers? Take a look at price, quality, reviews. In order to answer those questions for yourself, you want to be able to identify the products that interest you, that you're passionate about, and that sell well and customers are looking for. The small business owners that I meet with generally are inspired by their own passions to bring a great idea for a product or a brand to customers. And I always tell them, you know, kind of do what you love, but do your research. Um, and then number two, assess your own strengths and capabilities. Running a small business is difficult. So whether it's product creation, sourcing, marketing, logistics, hiring, there's a lot of things that go into it. And there's only so many hours in a day. So it's important to take an honest assessment of where your strengths lie and then leverage the tools and resources and programs that will help you get started in Amazon Store. For example, if you're a product expert and not a logistics whiz, find solutions like Fulfillment by Amazon and fill that gap with your skill set, or just give yourself more time to focus on the part of the business that you love the most. And then lastly, I would say focus on delighting customers. At Amazon, <laughs> you know, we say start with the customer and work backwards. So what kind of customer are you trying to attract? Are you looking to cater to specialty items or specialty items to a community of enthusiasts? Do you want to attract a variety of customers and have the widest reach possible? Really think about your customer and how you want to build the very best product and the best experience through your storefront for them. And you'll want to pay close attention to customer reviews and be responsive to the customer inquiries and reward those repeat customers. I love that idea of bringing delight to customers. Natalie, what's something that you've seen offered on Amazon from a small business owner that you thought was particularly delightful? Oh my gosh, I have had the pleasure this last year of traveling around the country 
talking to different small business owners, trying their products. I typically go home from these meetings and I my shopping cart is full. One of our small business sellers in Miami selling a line of skincare products, QRX Labs. I gave some to my mother for Mother's Day and she is obsessed. She's been saying to me, tell your friends that these are like the best products I've ever had and I want more. And she's been giving me all of her tips and suggestions. They're, they're top of mind. But like, I, like we were just saying, I was in San Francisco recently. Nana Jones Granola was, was one of the sellers that attended our event. I left with a little snack pack and immediately went home and ordered a whole bunch of granola from her as well. So it's, it's really fun. That's one of the best parts about my job. One of the nice perks, I think, of working with entrepreneurs who have some interesting ideas and some really great products that that excite people. When you look at entrepreneurship as it happens on your platform, what are your thoughts about entrepreneurship and entrepreneurs in 2023? Any sort of general takeaways? At Amazon, we say it's always day one, meaning that every day we must continue to build and innovate on behalf of our customers and selling partners. And I think having been an entrepreneur myself in, in a couple of different iterations, that, that notion of it always being day one and pushing yourself to do those new things, we see a lot of that in the entrepreneurs that are starting their brands and starting their businesses on Amazon. And even many of the entrepreneurs that we support through our different programming who may be at the very beginning of their journey and they may they may choose to never sell on Amazon but we were committed to entrepreneurship in general and we're committed to small business in general I mean we believe that the small business growth and vitality is critical not just to Amazon success but the success of communities across the US how does Amazon envision the future of their relationships with small businesses well, in addition to investments in current small businesses and brands selling in Amazon store, we will continue to invest in early stage entrepreneurs cultivating the future of small business everywhere. So as an example, we have Amazon Small Business Academy, which provides free access to foundational business education, industry experts, and more, enabling those early stage entrepreneurs to start, build, and launch their business. And those resources are, are free and they include live and on-demand webinars based on learning tracks. We have expert-led events through the Founders Table. And we even have a podcast, which might be interesting to your listeners. Um, it's called This is Small Business and uh, offers great tips and examples of some of the small businesses that have built their their business and their brands in Amazon Store and the success and the learnings that they've experienced in their journey. Natalie, it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you today about Amazon's role in the innovation ecosystem, how it stitches together a global platform with up-and-coming entrepreneurs and small businesses. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective with us today on Silicon Valley Vibes. Thanks, Peter. I really appreciate you having me. Thanks so much. We'll be back with more Silicon Valley Vibes after this. Silicon Valley Leadership Group hosts dozens of events every year with top leaders, area experts, and newsmakers from around the world. From dynamic roundtables to industry forums to our amazing signature events, like our Energy and Sustainability Summit and our upcoming annual forum. And your sponsorship can be a part of it. To find out how, go to svlg.org forward slash events. 
everyone, it's your favorite AI Vivi. And now back to your favorite podcast, Silicon Valley Vibes. Welcome back to SVV. So now we go from small business to infrastructure behind the business, which is the people. I talked to the founder and CEO of Caged Bird HR, my best friend in my head, Sierra Gross. We got into how she went from trauma to triumph, drawing from personal experience to bring a human resources solution to the people and to do so on a mass scale. It's safe to say that for Sierra, this isn't just business, it's personal. She lays bare some very real professional challenges that she faced in earlier jobs and how she's taken those negative experiences but turned them into lessons and learnings and opportunities to help others as they address their own professional challenges. Let's take a listen. Sierra, welcome to Silicon Valley Vibes. This is the conversation I've been looking forward to all week, all month. And it's funny, who would have thought that a random follow from me on Instagram and then a LinkedIn message would have led to something so, so dope, so impactful, and so consequential for many of us. Let's go ahead and jump in. So tell us a little bit about you, what you do, who you are, how dope you are, all the things. Yeah. So I guess I'll start with the fact that I hail from the great state of North Carolina. Um, I went to school at UNCG, University of North Carolina, Greensboro, got a degree in political science with a concentration in pre-law, graduated early with honors, uh, took some time off, traveled the world a bit, um, went back to school, got a master's in human resources. So I've been a human resources professional, you know, that is my career. Um, worked at a bunch of companies, Google, um, Exxon, Dutchie, and then decided to do something different decided to pursue a purposeful mission, um, something that's near and dear to my heart, um, something that I, you know, I started out of a need, right? It's something that I went through myself and thought, okay, well, how can I provide the solution to people at a mass scale? Um, and so Cage Bird HR was born and it has taken me all across the country um, in a very short amount of time, including to the Silicon Valley Leadership Group um, conference that I recently attended. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of like the TDLR on, on who I am and, and how I got here. <laughs> no, I love it. And I, I've been saying this often, Cage Bird HR is like Batman to me. Like you were the hero. We need it. We didn't know we could have. We are happy that exists. So tell us a little bit about what you do and why you do it. You mentioned HR and the passion there, but we all know that HR is, a, I'm going to say, a black box to many people working inside of corporate America. You're always told if you need something, HR is who you go to. But nobody knows actually how HR works and who it is that they serve. So tell us a little bit about why you exist and how you are serving everybody at the moment. Yeah, so I'll tell you our like creation story, right? And, and it'll start, it's a personal story, right? So I'll take you back to summer 2020. Brooklyn, New York, we're dead in the middle of parallel pandemics, COVID-19, racial injustice. Um, I had a, a Brooklyn apartment that had floor to ceiling windows as the exterior wall. And so I remember sitting on my brown tweed couch, looking out of that window and there was a tree across the street. I could see the, the leaves blowing. So I knew it was like a windy day. It was a beautiful day, right? Very few clouds in the sky. And then um, I remember like the smell coming from the trash can and you know how when you like don't take out the trash for a few days it starts to like whiff like that was the smell that was coming right and then there was like an odor from me coming because I had been sitting on this couch for like a week because I was clinically depressed 
And I had gone through my first true bout of workplace trauma. I had been called an angry black woman by an executive. And um, it sent me into clinical depression that led to a big severance fight. And it just really sent me into a downward spiral. And I remember so clearly sitting on that couch that day saying, the only reason I am surviving this is because I'm in HR. And I know how this game goes. But what do other people do who aren't in HR? What do they do? They do nothing because they don't even know how this game goes. And I said, man, if I survive this, I'm going to I'm going to do something. And I've always had a healthy disrespect for the status quo and the way things are done. And so I was like, you know, if I if, once I get out of this, I'm, I don't know how but I'm going to start something that's going to solve this problem. And I knew that it was going to, it was going to take me completely disregarding the way that HR functions today. And so I thought, you know, I survived it obviously. And I said, okay, I'm going to take a sabbatical. I need a break, you know, black girl, I need a break. And then in true black girl fashion, because, you know, <laughs> we never really rest. <laughs> He's like, we were always like, I got to do something. Um, so I was like, you know, I'll just slap a website up, you know, I'll just offer my time for a hundred bucks an hour while I'm on my sabbatical. You know, I had convinced myself that I need to stay up to date in the HR world because when I get back, I will, um, you know, need to be sharp so I can get a job. But I'll just name this company Cage Bird HR. That's how I felt at the time. I felt like I was a bird in the cage. I said, oh, this is perfect. I slapped up a website and posted on my Instagram. And an hour later, somebody had booked an appointment. And I said, oh, Lord, I have done something here. And 16 months later, you know, we're on track to do a quarter million this year. And it's just been really, really insane is the only way I know how to describe it. But it tells me that the market, because, you know, the market responds to one thing and one thing only, and that's value. And so I think it was a combination of just like the right time. Um, the right person, right? I truly believe this is my purpose. I feel so in flow doing this work um, that it kind of just all came together at the right time. I'm going to say, now I love that story. You were helping with this Batman analogy because that is the perfect hero origin story. Yeah. Usually, <laughs> you know, you all go through something and that piece that you spoke about, I think resonates with lots of folks. Like I unfortunately do not know a black woman professional that at some point in time in their career has not been labeled as the angry black woman myself included. And that point you made about what do people do who don't know the system? What we do is we jump on our group text. What we do is we ask other black women who are in the space. Like, I know you've also experienced this. Like, how did you, how did you handle it? How did you handle it? How did you weather? What should I know? Um, the one thing that is, you know, I will say that is good about us. And I say us, I mean, women and black women specifically is that by nature, we keep receipts on things. And so we're always able to account and document, you know, what has happened. And I think it's because we've been raised in environments where we know that your word is going to need more than your word. And if it's between you and someone else, you're likely not to be the one believed. So what else do you have to prove your case or show? And to your point also, you know, about going in the group chat, you know, that that is the solution because there is no real solution. Right. And so the advice that we get in those environments is like it's, it's a it's advice from a place of love. But what people don't understand is there's a technical element 
to human resources, right? There's a knowledge base that you have to have in order to really play the game effectively. And I think people are sharing what they've done and their experiences. And we have to, you know, kind of pick from that pile of like, okay, this is what worked for this person, what worked for that person. But the beauty of what Cagebred HR offers is a real technical competence and a cultural competence, right? So you get kind of like the best of, of both worlds. And, you know, even though we don't, explicitly say we only support black people or only support brown people by default that is who our our client base is right and we we have a lot of think tanks like why is that why is that like are are white people not experiencing things at work or is it are we not marketing to them or like what is that but it's been really really interesting to kind of see the evolution of the business and how the brand has really become like this trusted pillar in the minority community of like, no, 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 no. If you have an HR issue, don't go to the group chat no more. You need to go talk to, you know, case for HR, because not only are you going to get the technical advice that you need to be successful, but you're going to get it from somebody who more, more likely than not looks like you and can understand your lived experience in a way that a lot of people don't get at work because, you know, HR is a white female dominated field. That's just the facts. And, you know, the relationship between black folk and white folk is very well documented. And then, you know, the relationship between black women and white women, very well documented and also strained. And so I think it's just, again, this kind of perfect mix of all the the real true needs to solve this one problem and the market has responded to that. I will say that you all are absolutely it. I will say that my group chat is much better now that you exist because when those <laughs> things pop up, all I do is scroll through Instagram or LinkedIn and I'm like, here, here's actually a resource. <laughs> and I've been sharing it with everybody because as you mentioned, it is very technical and you need somebody who's an expert who knows how to navigate it. And I think that piece you mentioned earlier, I want to pull in that thread about, you know, a level of, I want to call it like cultural competency, for lack of a better word, or like understanding is key. Because I remember explaining some of the, you know, traumatic or challenging situations I had at work to people who are not Black. And they're just like, well, why aren't you getting the benefit of the doubt? Like, I'm so confused. But if you know, you know, and you know what it is. And when you talk about the relationship between HR being a very, you know, white woman dominated field, I think a lot of people don't recognize that that's also a an interesting experience for many a black woman having to like navigate through that space because here you are with a very much shared experience but there are some differences and i think what's unique about you is again going to receipts you now have the quantitative data to say well i exist on these platforms that are marketed to everybody but here's who my clientele is and here's the very unique and specific experiences that they're having so this is something that is systemic and which means it can be addressed but let's like Let's measure it so we can address it. And let's show that we are not like making these things up or it's not coming out of nowhere, so to speak. Tell us what it is that you're seeing. What are you learning from the data? What are you seeing as something maybe predictive as it relates to HR overall? But how is this helping to address some of the future challenges or systemic challenges that you see today? Yeah, so we see kind of four things when we talk about the data, right? So every time a client comes to us, we have them fill out you know, these various forms and you know, tell us who they are, where they work, how much money they make, who their manager is, what their manager looks like, if they're a man or a woman, if they're a part of the LGBT community. And as we looked across this data, we really it really all comes down to four things, right? One is going to be the lack of transparency. Employees don't know what what HR is, how it works, what is normal, what to expect. They just have no earthly clue because a lot of the times our clients are interacting with HR in these um, high risk 
situations for the first time, right? So like when I was in my situation, I had never been involved in an HR investigation. I had only executed them, right? I had never been the person who had to go to HR and be like, yo, she just called me an angry black woman and then apologize for it in writing, you know? So there's just a general lack of transparency and that's by design, right? Because HR has has made this shift into what they call strategic business partner, which is code for like we're really just here to you know make sure the business runs and reduce you know reduce risk for the organization, and so there there's really no incentive to educate employees on like no this is actually how this goes. The other one is obviously we talked about this a lack of culturally competent care. I think people generally want the support, but there's that barrier and that real true concern of like. You know, if I have a concern that is rooted in discrimination, if I go tell this white female HR rep, is anything even going to happen? Like, does she even understand? Um, and so that's like that that hesitancy, right? And so they come to us and we help them through educating them on how the process works and what to expect. And by helping them formulate and write their actual concerns to HR in a way that, uh expresses their lived experience in like a professional way because a lot of people come to some mostly charged you know like okay we can't say that but we can help you craft in a in a, in a way that um um get your point across but it's also still you know within the realm of professionalism um so the lack of course comes to care is over two and then the negative impacts on people's physical and mental health and this one is huge Right. And I think this is arguably something that needs to be talked about up in the White House, because what we're seeing and what I experienced myself is that when people go through these negative experiences, right, where they don't understand the process, right, the lack of transparency, they don't have culturally competent care and they're like blindsided, there's a real true impact on people's mental health. And if your mental health goes, then your physical health is also going to be impacted. And so we have people who have become infertile, people who have acute PTSD, PTSD, um, depression, anxiety, are neurodivergent, ADHD, all these different things, right? Which you could argue, you know, you could argue, you know, did it start in the workplace? Did it start before? But we have people who have literally said, Sierra, I have never been to a therapist a day in my life. I've never had anxiety. I've never been put on psychotropic drugs. And here I am being medicated because this situation is so stressful to me that my hair is falling out. I mean, I will never forget. I had a client literally show me a grocery bag full of her hair that had fallen out of her head because she had relocated across country for this job. And now they were trying to push her out and it had just stressed her out to the point where her hair was literally falling out of her head. Who's responsible for that? When, when does that end? What impact does that have on your physical and mental being to know that your hair is falling out of your head and you don't know when it's going to stop, how to stop it? <laughs> There's no accountability for that. I mean, I'll give you myself. When I was clinically depressed, you know, your head goes, your gut goes too. So now I find myself, I'm healthy as an ox, right? I'm vegan. I'm healthy as an ox. I go through this, this situation at work and now all of a sudden I'm having migraines, I'm at 20, 30, 29 years old, having a colonoscopy. And all I did was show up to work one day and had a negative interaction with a white woman. And now I have piles of medical bills that I did not have before. Silicon Valley Vibes will be back after this quick message. 
I'm Ahmad Thomas, CEO at the Silicon Valley Leadership Group. As part of our acceleration agenda, I'm here to announce SVLG's new working group on responsible AI. It's the first initiative we're rolling out under our new Technology and Innovation Center of Expertise. We recognize the tremendous potential of and profound interest around this new technology, and we're committed to ensuring that AI is developed and implemented in a responsible way. The working group is co chaired by SVLG member companies Google and Johnson & Johnson. As the group takes shape, we look forward to working with industry experts, academics, and other stakeholders to bring diverse voices, perspectives, and disciplines to the table. If you'd like to get involved, please visit svlg.org to learn more. And now, here's part two of Nadia's conversation with Sierra Gross from Caged Bird HR. Welcome back to SVV. So Nadia, in the second half of your conversation with Sierra, you really closed the loop on using client data as predictive as it relates to bringing awareness to systemic problems that exist across the entire professional HR industry. Peter, the second part of the conversation was revealing, it was cathartic, it touched on a lot of things that are familiar experiences to many black women working in the tech space, but many underrepresented groups as well. We definitely touched on some things that will hit a chord with lots of listeners and hope that folks enjoy the conversation and also learned a little bit. Let's take a listen. So now I find myself, I'm healthy as an ox, right? I'm vegan, I'm healthy as an ox. I go through this, it, this situation at work and now all of a sudden I'm having migraines. I'm at 20, 30, 29 years old, having a colonoscopy. And all I did was show up to work one day and had a negative interaction with a white woman. And now I have piles of medical bills that I did not have before. I wanna jump in on that point, like not to cut the middle of the conversation, but I think that point needs to be like amplified. Like I think a lot of people discount the, the trauma and the impact that it has on the person that's going through it because A, like you said, you were minding your business, trying to do your job. And now all of a sudden, you have to deal with this thing. And then it also, because you're not, you don't have the tools, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's, where it's coming from. It's going to manifest itself in a different way. And it could manifest itself in your mental health and your physical well-being. And then you mentioned all the impacts that are there, but not to mention what happens if you get in your next job and role. You are going to be looking for things. You're going to be triggered by things. And these also impact your ability to earn. And to your point, like, what do we do then? And like, who's responsible? Because again, this was done to the individual and the person, and now they have to live with this thing and this trauma and this ability may hamper their ability to earn, grow, how they see themselves, how they view their place in the world, like all these things. Workplace trauma is a form of PTSD. We had a whole webinar on this, that if you experience a negative interaction at work, right, and it causes you to have PTSD, when you go to your next job, those things trigger. It's no different from when a war veteran returns back to war. It's like all the stuff comes back to you. And so people are paranoid. You know, they're like, no, 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 Sierra. These people are out to get me. I know it because this is what happened in my last job. And who who's left holding the bag for that? The employee. And I don't think that that's right. No, not at all. And as you mentioned too, it's hard to break that cycle of trauma because the things do happen. So textbook. And so you can see very easily step one happening and occurring and where you want to give the benefit of the doubt when step two happens, you're like, no, 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 they're coming. Like, I know what's happened. I've had this. I've received this email before from another person in another space and time, or I know what that tone and comment means. 
because these things are systemic, because they are so rooted, the people themselves who are enacting, I'm going to say the harm, are also following a playbook that they picked up that's universal. And so it is, it is not uncommon. And I think there's a deeper conversation that needs to happen about that because it's like irreparable damage in many ways. Like, yes. how can you, how can you yes. move on? Yes. And people just act like, oh, you know, well, you got severance, so it's all good. Like, no, no, that money in my bank account don't help me sleep at night. <laughs> it's not growing my hair back. No. Um, and then the last thing that we, we see um, in the data is a lack of equitable accountability. There's this idea that when people of color make or raise concerns in the workplace, that they're not going to get the same outcome as their non-white counterparts. And we've seen that to be true, right? So a lot of the stuff that we get in this area is, you know, people making simple mistakes. I forgot to clock out. They're being accused of stealing time. You know, um, I forgot to, you know, I had one client who she was put, uh, she was given a disciplinary warning because she went on vacation. She did all her things. She told her stakeholder, she put her OOO, she did all the things, but her manager, who's a white female was upset because she didn't literally come to her and ask permission to take vacation. That's the type of stuff that we see. There's this power dynamic that is existing where it's like, if you don't do exactly what I say, forget the policy. I'm your manager. Do what I say and what I expect. Then you're going to be subject to this or, you know, not being given the benefit of the doubt. How did me forgetting the clock out get to the point of I'm stealing time? Why is it just not a simple mistake? Because if Susan were to do it, so this is the type of stuff that we're seeing. So those are the four things. Lack of transparency, lack of culture, comp care, impacts on physical and mental health, and the lack of equitable accountability. Yeah, I know I've said it like five times in our, our conversation today, but I am so happy that you exist. I am so happy that you are doing the work that you do. And I like the healthy amount of disrespect for the status quo. Like I also like that you are empowering people to both understand the environments that they exist in, but also giving them the tools to be able to navigate and there is a level of comfort that is immeasurable about knowing what you're going into eyes wide open and having and not being surprised or cut off guard because you are there to help let them know, all right, this happened. So here's what's going to happen next. And here's how you can prepare and be ready. And here are the tools that you should use. And this is a I love this empowering approach because it's different than, you know, before you existed, when you would talk to people, they would teach you how to navigate around or just exist or make yourself very, very small. So maybe they'll leave you alone and not you know, go through with their plan. And I feel like now it's a little bit of, I know what you're going to do is going to be actively engaged. I'll make sure that I'm aware and that I can advocate for myself. And then if, if it's a situation that I need to leave, I can say that I'm leaving as opposed to surprised and getting pushed out. And that's, it's empowering and it's very important for one's like sense of self and well-being overall. Yes. Our main goal is to educate and empower people to, to advocate for themselves at work. There's a socialization that minorities have gone through, right? that you know, we are to be seen and not heard, that we should just take what is given to us and we should you know, do our jobs and go home. And I think you know, part of the, the power of having a case Brady Char consultant is that people feel more comfortable speaking up for themselves. <laughs> I mean, I just had a client the other day who straight up, he was just like, this is racist, this is wrong, this is all these things, I'm a good employee, he's a high performer. And when he got the call, he was like, Sierra, I just want you to know, I would have never in a million years 
have advocated for myself in that way. And I just want to thank you just for that, just for validating, A, validating his experience, and then B, really helping him understand, like, you're literally not doing anything wrong. Like, this is your right under the law. <laughs> like, you have this right. And so long as we deliver this message in a way that can be consumed by the person who's hearing it, and we focus on the points we need to focus on, you're literally not doing anything wrong. And oh, by the way, here's the risk associated. There's a very low chance I'm going to fire you. Very low chance. I know this because I've been doing this for a very long time. So I think there's a, there's a lot of different things that we're doing in providing the service, right? We are providing a, a technical HR service. We're also like empowering people, right? We're also like breaking some generational curses down. We're also retooling brains, right? To help people understand that like there's nothing wrong with saying the way that you're treating me is not okay. It's not. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think that's where we, you know, that's where we get excited, right? Because it's not, it's not about the money for us, right? Seeing somebody go through this journey of coming to us literally in tears, can barely get a word out to fully advocating for themselves and believing that they're worthy of that advocacy, that self-advocacy is just, it's everything. It's everything. And it's why we get up every single day and we grind the way that we grind because we're trying to help as many people as humanly possible because it is so freeing. We have this saying, people are in a cage when they come to us and they're free when they leave. You know, when I saw the title of your, the name of your company, I of course thought of the Maya Angelou poem, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. And I was like, I love this. I love all the, the illusions, the alliteration, all the good stuff that's in there as well. Um, last question I have for you. Y'all are on a roll. You're doing great work. You're working with great people. What's next? What's in the future? Where do you see yourself? Where do you see the organization going? You know, I think is I think the sky's the limit for Cage Bird HR. In the near term, right now we're kind of hyper focused on employees, but I think that there's a real desire from businesses, not all, not all businesses, but there is a starting to have a real desire from, you know, the smaller and medium-sized businesses to want to execute HR in a different way. Right. And so we're trying to figure out how can we support those businesses as well. I'm also writing a book and releasing a book. So again, we're trying to help as many people as humanly possible. And we are like getting slammed every day. So I figured, you know, let me just write a playbook. Here's the from hire to moving on. Here's everything you need to know about this corporate game. Here's the advice you need to ignore from your grandma. And here is what words to use if you ever find yourself in this situation. So we hope that'd be coming out um, at the end of this year. Um, but other than that, I mean, we're, we're trying to stay true to who we are and what our mission is, and that is to educate and empower as many people as humanly possible to advocate for themselves at work and really, you know, be at the forefront of changing the way that HR operates because employees in HR and businesses have never had the same, their interests have never been aligned, never. But we've convinced ourselves <laughs> that they were. And what we're seeing now through layoffs every other day and people are starting to realize and, you know, HR is not is there to protect the company has come to the forefront of employee consciousness that maybe it's time that we just kind of rethink the way that HR service is provided. And maybe just maybe there's an industry for external HR support completely independent, um, which is a complete departure from, you know, how HR is ever has ever functioned before. And so we're so proud to be the forefront of that work. Um, we're so proud to, to be at the forefront and to be a black owned business and to be a black woman owned business. We're a small but mighty team. Um, 
so yeah, hopefully we'll go for a round of funding here in the next few years because, you know, that's just what you do. Um, and we'll continue to just help people. That's the goal. No, I love it. You took the words out of my mouth, the forefront of the next generation, the next era of what it means for HR. And oddly enough, or ironically enough, back in the day, we used to have a group chat like meme that said, the more you know, like HR is on the side of the company, but that the more you know from back in the 80s sort of coming, because let's reframe how we think about this and then we can have aligned expectations and businesses and companies need somebody who's there to look after their interests, but we as the employees need somebody there to look after ours as well. Cage Bird HR is the one to follow. Find them on LinkedIn, Instagram, all the social channels. Keep an eye out for Sierra Gross, who is the founder and CEO, because one of my favorite people who I didn't know I was going to be so attached to. So I'm happy we're connected. Looking forward to continuing conversation and crossing paths in real life really soon. Thank you for joining us. Now it's time for the Silicon Valley Vibes Wrap Out for Peter and Nadia to give their take and a little takeaway. And so that was the conversation. Nadia, where do you see the points of connection between these two conversations today? You know, it touches on a topic of the more you know. There's lots of work and things happening behind the scenes that might not be amplified, but also when it comes to business, it's about more than the bottom line. It's a focus on taking care of the people, but also a focus on making sure that you are right-minded, bringing entrepreneurs to the table, being innovative, and also doing a little bit more in order to have a positive social impact. Yeah, I really see the themes of, of empowerment throughout both of these discussions. For Sierra, certainly, her story of healing and helping professionals advance. And also with regard to Natalie, helping small businesses pursue their own entrepreneurial dreams. Uh, really, it's about producing the best version of professionals out there today. And that wraps this episode of Silicon Valley Vibes. Please like, share, and subscribe. And remember, with millions of stories in Silicon Valley, you can't always get all the details, but you can get the vibes right here on Silicon Valley Vibes. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Silicon Valley Vibes, the best thing that's happened to podcasting since Reverb. The humans and AIs who make our show are our executive producer, Chuck Dickinson. Our audio mastering is by R.R. Robbins. Our podcast is produced by the humans at the Silicon Valley Leadership Group. AI music provided by SoundRaw. Recording production support provided by the platform Riverside FM. Your AI announcer, me, Vivi, is provided by Eleven Labs. Today's robot fun fact, the first robot was so big it weighed three tons. Ooh, baby, got back up. Vivi out.